We are so grateful that you are joining us today. We, as a community, pray that the Lord will refresh you as you hear today's message. If you would like to support and further the work here in the city, please visit us at www.oasischurchchicago.com or download our app, Oasis Church Chicago. Now, here's today's message. Good morning, church. Obviously, I am not Pastor JP, but he is uh, doing an amazing thing this morning. He's speaking over at his parents' church, Firehouse Chapel, uh, out in the Orland Park area. So I think the only thing more amazing than the fact that Pastor JP speaks here nearly every Sunday of the year is that he will take his own time and time away from here to go speak to another church. Um, So I pray that we can just always honor him in that. I think it's really amazing that he's doing that. But for those of you who don't know me, my name is Andrew Hodel. I'm on the leadership team here. And uh, thank you for letting me speak and share with you guys today. Uh, yeah. I think, too, I want to I say, I, I hope, I know we say this, we probably don't say it often enough, of how thankful, I'm speaking from, from myself and for, on behalf of our leadership, how thankful we are for you guys. Uh, honestly, this church, the fact that, like, this room is almost packed out right now is just the answer to many years of prayer um, and a testament just to why we do this. I mean, the reason why we exist as a church, the reason why we gather as God's people is for this. It's because we couldn't do this without you, and it's about this life together uh, as the body of believers. It's about bringing people in and seeing this community and seeing the love of Jesus just pour out in this neighborhood and in this city. Um, so I'm really excited to be sharing today, uh, and we're just going to jump right into it. The, the title of my message today is called Back to the Beginning, and the reason why I've, I've given it that title um, is because I think so often we get caught up in the details of life, right? For me personally, I'm very much like a fact guy, right? So if I'm sitting with a group of friends and a conversation comes up and all of a sudden, you know, you start fact checking, right? You know, this is like someone says something, you're like, "Uh, I don't know about that. Like, let me, I'm the guy that like immediately pulls out my phones, going to Wikipedia, trying to get like all the details, right? Get it all figured out. I'm very much that, like, that's my mindset. It's very much how I operate. Uh, And I was thinking about, as I was thinking about this message today, I was like, if I'm so into learning all the facts about just like really dumb stuff most of the time. It's like some music artist in 1980 wrote this song and it got played a million times. Like it doesn't matter, right? Then how much more should I, how much more should we desire to know the deep intimate details of God's plan for our lives and the deep intimate details that can be found in the scriptures? And so the reason I call this back to the beginning is because honestly, one of my favorite sections of all of scripture is a, is, rel- is a very short section compared to the whole, and that's in the book of Genesis, in the very beginning. I think one of the reasons probably why I'm drawn to this is because of the mystery that exists in the book of Genesis. But I hope today that we can unpack this a little bit and uh, really just understand some of the key tenets for, for, for our faith, right? Things like, who is Jesus and why is there need, a need for a Savior? Uh, I think it's healthy for us to think about... Uh, if, if, I'm not speaking for all of us, but I grew up in the church, right? So a lot of these things I take for granted. But I have to think about, like, if people are looking from outside in at the church, I can only imagine the types of questions they have. And then there's us within the church, and we still have these same questions. There's some very difficult questions that we ask about our faith. And so today I want to unpack this a little bit. Um, But in order for us to understand, I think we have to start at the beginning. Uh, So that's what I'm going to do today. And we're just going to jump right into it here. Um, Before I read the first section of Scripture, There's one thing that I kind of want us to know, right? And it's that Jesus was there from the start. Jesus came as our Savior. He came in bodily form, uh, and he literally walked the earth. 
But the reality about what we believe as a church about the Trinity of God is that Jesus, God the Father, and his spirit were there from the start. And the reason we know this is in Colossians 1.15. It says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Also in John 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word. The Word is Jesus. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And thus, this is where it all begins. So we're going to jump right in this morning. In Genesis 1, verses 26 through 31, it should be up on the screen. And it says this, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so, and God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. So from the very beginning, I mean, I can't even like, it's really hard to process all of this. I just read like the whole creation story and, and I can read it in, you know, two minutes. But like literally every single thing on this earth that we experience, God is just creating, right? It's amazing. And you're seeing him create like the animals and the vegetation and the landscape and all of it. And then he creates mankind. And I think the most important thing, if we're to go back to the beginning, the most important thing that we should understand from the very beginning is how God describes mankind in this tale and how it's different from everything else. And the way that it's different is it says he made man in his image, right? This is my first point. We're getting right into it. We are made in God's image. I could just stop right there because that is like, I don't know about you guys, that just blows my mind. Like God who is so grand, so powerful, so all-knowing, so much higher than anything we can ever ask or comprehend or, or experience made us in his image. This has a lot of weight to it. This has a lot of gravity to it. And I hope to be able to unpack this, uh, this a little bit this morning. But before I do, we're just going to keep skipping right ahead. So Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17 says this. Okay, so God has made man in his image. He's placed them in the Garden of Eden. It's this beautiful place. He's given them everything they need, right? He's provided for it. He said, here's your food. I mean, how easy is that? I don't even have to put something in the oven. It's just like the food. It's all there, right? Amazing. This is like heaven on earth. Literally, God prepares the perfect plan for man, and that's the current state of where we are so far in the scripture. Then we get to Genesis 2, 16 and 17. It says, and the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. So God planted two trees in the garden that we read about in scriptures. There's the tree of life, and there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Beyond the fact that it says they're there, we really don't know much else um, at this point. But we do learn more, which I'll get into a little bit later. So the question I have for us is we're, we're at this point now, and, and God's given mankind everything they need. Adam and Eve, like they've got it all, right? The food is there. That's really what matters most. They have dominion over all creation, so they have a ton of power. Like God has literally said, you basically are in control of all this. I'm giving it to you, and I've given you the control too, so they've got all the power. But the question is, 
we read this in verse 17, there's an option. And you're like, huh. Like, if God gave them everything, then why is there this option? Like, it's the first time we read where it's, there's a do not do this, right? Do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And this, I think, is the core question that we should ask ourselves for why there's a need for a Savior, right? Before I get into this, I want to read Romans 1, 20 through 21. It says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. So everything I described, right, it's a testament of God's creation. It's a testament of God's power, and there's no excuse, Right? When we, when we study science, right, when we study just the magnificence of the world and we think about like, hey, the world could be a billion years old or it could be 6,000 years old. It doesn't really matter what anybody believes about the, the length of time. It's the fact that we believe that God created it all. And people are without excuse. But the fundamental fault of humanity, which happens not so long after man was created, literally in chapter 2 of Genesis, is that they sinned, right? And it's because there was an option. So why was there this option? Like, why did God give them all of this stuff, give them, you know, no excuse to wonder who did it or why? Adam and Eve knew it was God. God walked with them in the garden. We read about that. They were in the presence of God, and yet there was, there was an option there. It's because from the beginning, Adam and Eve were created, my first point, in the image of God. And if they're created in the image of God, it means that they need the capacity to love because God loves us. And the only way you can love is if you have the choice to do so. It's if you have free will. So this is why there's options. It's because if we are made in the image of God, we have to have free will. And the reason why God gave us free will is because he loves us so much. Like none of us can sit in this room and say that we were forced to love somebody. It's not something you can make up in your, in your mind. You can't just force yourself to love somebody, and nobody else can make you love anybody around you. It's a choice. It's always a choice, and it's that much more a choice when we choose to love our Father and to love people in relationship with us as he asks us to do, and so that's why they have this option. They have, they have the option of two trees. There's the tree of life, and there's the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Adam and Eve knew what the right choice was, right? God didn't just give them the option and then say, like, play the lottery, 50-50 pick, what you're going to get. He told them very clearly, eat of this tree, eat of all these trees, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So we progress. And this is, uh, I'm going to read again in verse uh, Genesis 2, 16, uh, and then we'll continue on to the next uh, group of verses. And the Lord God commanded man, you are free to eat from any tree of the garden, but you must not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Okay, the next character that gets introduced in the Bible is, uh, is called the serpent. Um, there's a lot uh, that kind of goes into this. So before we get into those verses, I'm going to give us just a brief background. I'm not going to go into a ton of detail on, on who Satan is. Um, because Satan is very real. Uh, the enemy is very real. And the enemy, uh, for what we believe as, as Christians and what we believe in the church, is out to do everything he can to destroy the work of God. He is... He is literally opposed to God in every single way. Um, but there are some things that the scripture says about Satan, about the enemy. Um, the first is this. At one point, Satan was not evil. <laughs> At one point, Satan was created to also be a beautiful being that God created, right? It says in the very beginning, when God created his creation, everything was good. Everything was very good. God doesn't make mistakes when he creates any of us, 
That's a word for us today. God has never made creations. He creates us to do beautiful and amazing things, things that we can find, things that we can discover, things that we can be empowered to do through the blood of Jesus Christ and through the restoration that comes as he draws us back to his creation in the beginning, as he draws us back to his original will for mankind. But what happened to Satan was he was an angel in heaven, and actually the Bible describes him as like an archangel. So this was like a a leader of all the angels, if you will. He was like a team captain, right? And Satan had responsibility, and his name at that time was Lucifer. So let's switch back to his previous name. So his name was Lucifer, and he had responsibility over the worship in all of heaven. So literally his job, like what he was created by God to do was to worship God and to lead all the other angels in worshiping God. But I can imagine that, and this is, uh, so let me pause for a second. This is like me thinking, right? So this is not in the Bible, but this is me thinking about what, what would have gone through like Lucifer's mind as he fell um, from greatness is that he really came uh, it came down to pride, right? Like he, he got to a, mo- a moment where the Bible says he considered himself higher than God. He spent his creation. He was created to worship and, you know, he, he essentially gets to a point where he says, well, I want to be the one that gets worshiped. Like where's a little bit for me? And then he falls. He falls from heaven. He's cast out from heaven by God and he's sent down to earth. Okay, so that's where we pick it up here. Um, and in Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 7, We read this. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. For you will certainly, or for you will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. So we have to think, why does the serpent appear? And why does he appear so early on to God's creation, specifically to man in the, in the garden, in this, in this situation? And I think the reason is this. I think sometimes when we think about the enemy, when we think about the work of Satan in the world, we picture it kind of like as the fact that Satan's trying to torment us. Like he's just out to like get us and get at us and cause us to sin and to tempt us. But I think in the beginning, that Satan wasn't put on the planet to torment us. We were put on the planet to torment Satan. And I think that's what's getting at him here is because he realizes, remember, he was created in heaven to worship God. He was created as a heavenly being, as a perfect being. And we don't understand a lot of that, right, of, of what goes on in heaven in that, in that place. But the only thing that could be, he, he, like I said, he was created to worship God. The only thing that could be better than Satan was a creation literally in God's image. And that's how God created man. Can you imagine, right? God created man in his image. So now there's people that are walking the earth that have complete dominion over all creation and Satan arrives on the scene. This is why Satan is the deceiver. So he has to do everything he can to try to lead Adam and Eve away from this destiny that God has given them, from this plan and purpose on earth. And he tricks Adam and Eve basically. And he says, surely you won't die. See, Satan knew something else. He knew that they weren't physically going to die. I'll read about that in a little bit. 
And he basically convinces them that, hey, you want to be like God. The sad part about this is that they were already like God. And what I want to remind us today is that we are like God. There's nothing else we have to do to try to be more like God. He has created us in his image. And instead of desiring for us to try to like do everything we can to get back to him, to do everything we can to be like him, he just says, let me come and be a part of you. Let me heal you from the inside. Let my spirit come into you and impact you. He wants to be a part of that journey. It's not something that we can earn. It's not something that we can do because we were already created in the image of God to be like God. I want to read this quote from the ESV study Bible. As I was preparing for this message, I was reading in the study Bible, um, and I, I couldn't have said this any better. So basically it says this in regards to what we just read about in Genesis. The serpent speaks half-truths, promising much but delivering little. Their eyes, Adam and Eve, are indeed opened, and they come to know something, but it is only that they are naked. They know good and evil by experience, but their sense of guilt makes them afraid to meet God. They have become slaves to evil. And while they do not cease to exist physically, they are expelled from the garden sanctuary in God's presence, cut off from the source of life and the tree of life, which they had a chance to eat from. They are instead are in the realm of the dead. What they experience outside of even is not life as God intended, but spiritual death. So this is the state of humanity. From this point onward, because of these events, because Adam and Eve chose to deny the life that God wanted for them, to deny the life that came from eating from the right tree, they have now sent all the rest of humanity for time up till now into spiritual death. In Romans 5.18, it says, one trespass led to condemnation for all men. So if we're to understand the state, of, if, if someone asks us now, why do we have a need for a savior? Why do I need to worship Jesus? Who is Jesus? What does he mean to the church? So far, it's this, is that we are all under condemnation now because of the original sin of man in the garden. You guys with me? All right, here we go. So moving right forward to Genesis 3, 14 through 19. Okay, so all of this has transpired, and then God comes back to the garden, and he says this. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly. You will eat dust all the days of your life, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. So the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe, with painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. You will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you will return. So from this point forward, the seed of Adam, the first of all mankind, was corrupted. And from this point forward, until Christ's return, we are born as a corrupt people who are naturally turned against God. We are inherently unrighteous. My second point is this. We are dead in sin and must be born again. So the first point was, was amazing. It's the truth. It's like the, it's like the all-encompassing truth of who we are as people. It's that we are made in God's, God's image. But my second point, like three chapters into Genesis, is that we are dead in sin and must now be born again. Thus, kicks off God's plan for humanity now. 
which is the story of salvation, which is the coming of Jesus Christ. And obviously, I don't have all the time in the world to read the entire rest of the New Testament, but it's really amazing, right? The, the, or, sorry, the Old Testament. The, the Old Testament is really amazing because essentially, if you keep reading in Genesis now, I'm going to jump ahead to the New Testament now, but if you keep reading in Genesis, it explains God's covenant. And to explain the, the New Testament covenant, to explain and for, for his people in the time in a world that was so long ago that hardly any of us can imagine, there were a lot of really like kind of things that we read that seem strange, right? These covenant things, these laws, these tra- uh, traditions, these rituals, these sacrifices. And I think if we just read that like on its own, it becomes very confusing. But if you read it through the lens of the creation story, if you read it through this lens of understanding who we are, who we were originally created to be and what God's plan is for humanity, it starts to make sense. Read it through the lens of looking to the future covenant because we've established now that we need a savior, that we need somebody else to pay the price for us, somebody who's perfect, somebody to die for us because now in and of ourselves, our flesh is corrupted and we will return to the dust just as we were created like Adam was. I wanna read Ephesians 2, one through eight as we transition into really understanding how Christ now fulfills this covenant that was kicked off from the very beginning. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So this is the evil spirit. This is the enemy um, that Paul is talking about in Ephesians. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. Our original nature was perfect, and it was to worship God. Our nature now is sinful, and it's deserving of wrath. Verse 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy praise God, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions, for it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Jesus Christ. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Amen. So good. So what does the Bible mean to be born again? Remember back when Adam and Eve were created, they were born for the first time. They were literally created. From that point on, it says, it specifically mentions for Eve, a part of the continuation of life is that she would experience pains in childbirth. And so as humans, we are all born in the flesh. But after Adam and Eve, we are born in the flesh, meaning we have a body. We are born with life, meaning we have blood. Blood gives us life. You read about this a lot in the Old Testament. It's why there was a need when, when, when they sacrificed animals to shed the blood. Because to the Hebrew people, to God's people, this was, the, this was life. Blood was life. So we have the body created in the flesh. We have our soul, which is life. And then we have the spirit. See, originally when we were created in God's image, remember the Trinity. There's God the Father, there's Jesus Christ, and there's his Holy Spirit. We were created with the spirit of God. We were created with a righteous purpose. And when it says, when we go back and we read, when Satan says, surely you will not die, what he's actually referring to and what Adam and Eve thought is they might have thought, oh, I'm going to die physically. But what he knew is that they were going to lose the spirit of God. They died spiritually. Mankind died spiritually. And so what it means to be born again is to be born of the spirit. It means that God's spirit returns into the life of anyone 
who makes Jesus their Lord and Savior and who invites him to come into their life to change them. It's the Spirit of God that changes us from the inside out. And so we've established now this need to be born again. Originally, God wanted us just to be born once. He created us, and that was it. But there's a need to be born again, and that can only be done through the saving grace of Jesus Christ. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone the new is here. We don't have to hold on any longer to when God created Adam and Eve in the garden. They experienced the original creation. They had their chance, but praise God that we also have a chance. That wasn't the only chance. They didn't just sin once and for all so that we would just all die and be apart from God forever. See, God ruined Satan's plans, if we're all honest. That's what he did. He upset those plans. He said, you can never defeat me. God is always victorious. And now we have life. We have a new creation when the spirit of God comes into us when you make a decision for salvation. Paul describes in 1 Thessalonians 5.23 that now we are redeemed. So when you make a decision for salvation, you are redeemed fully, body, soul, and spirit, like I just described. We get healed from physical ailments. We can be healed from, from what bothers us in the flesh. Our souls are healed and encouraged. And most importantly, the spirit of God now comes inside and lives inside of our hearts to give us the life, the lifeblood that God originally desired for all of us. In 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul continues, verse 23 and 24, he says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, the spirit of God, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. My third point is this. Jesus paid the price that we could never pay. So we know this covenant is established and there's a need for a savior. We recognize this need. We recognize the need for us to be born again and for God's spirit to return and to make us whole and to be the, the, the deposit for our eternity, to be the deposit that takes us back to be with him forever in a perfect creation, in a perfect world where there is no more sickness, no more pain, no more sin, no more attacks of the enemy. See, what the Bible says about the enemy is that he's here like, this is, this is crazy. Right? This is how good God is. He puts the enemy on earth, and he also puts man on earth, and he puts his spirit in man as the body of the church, literally to just torment the devil until he gets cast away to the lake of fire, which is even worse. So the devil's already getting punished by God, and we are called to be instruments of God's spirit to do that, to push back the darkness, to push back the evil in the world, to push back the sin in the world. It's happening now. That is our calling now as the church, to rise up, to be filled by his spirit, and to fight back the tactics of the enemy. But in eternity, the enemy's going to the lake of fire and he's gone for good. He has no way to reach us, no way to touch us, no way to harm us, no way to harm any of you. We will be made perfect and we will be brought into greatness in eternity with Jesus Christ and with God the Father seated at his side. But Jesus had to pay the price. He had to pay the price first. And the reason he had to is because we could never pay it. We were corrupted in our flesh. And so if any of us were to try to die we're at fault. There's no way you can redeem the wrath that we deserve by being imperfect. There had to be a perfect replacement to atone for our sinfulness. Remember, in the beginning, Adam and Eve were given the option to eat from two trees, and they missed out on eating the tree of life. Jesus gives us that option again. We still have free will. We still have the choice to choose Jesus. 
And that is the choice that each of us has to make. If you want to receive the gift that God has for you, if you want to receive his spirit and know him again, you have the choice. No one's going to make you do it. God's not going to make you do it because he loves us. And the only way that we can learn to love as God did is for us to choose to do so. And it's for us to choose to understand what that love is. And that was in Jesus Christ coming to earth to teach us. And so as the Old Testament covenant came to an end and Jesus arrives on earth, we read about his birth. See, he does come as, as in the flesh. He is born just like we are. He literally did everything necessary to pay the price that we couldn't pay. He came as a human. He came with the ability to sin, as crazy as that is. He was, he was tempted. He, put, he knew that he had to go through every single thing. Think back. Adam and Eve had that option. They were tempted. They could have said no. Jesus had that option. He said no. Praise God. And he took it all the way to the cross. And while he was here on earth, he shared with us what love is. He described the love that God wants for us, the love that God is to us so that we could love others. And he spent the short amount of his years in ministry teaching us how to be like him. He spent that short amount of time redeeming the original plan that God had for his people in the garden from the beginning. God establishes two covenants now so that we can see the new covenant fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we are reaping the harvest of that. We are reaping the gift of of salvation here and now. Praise God that each of us are born into a time where Jesus has already come and his life is here for us to receive today and to live in from now on this earth to eternity. Romans 8 says this, Romans chapter 8 verse 18 says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration in the beginning in the garden, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. This is our current state because we know the future glory that we will experience when we get to be with our Creator forever. And until that moment, we have to realize the state of our being. We have to realize the story of what God originally intended for creation, how man messed it up because we had a choice, but how now we can make the decision to serve him again and to serve him and to love him as he originally intended, to redeem his creation and to be a part of this story as both creation and the children of God wait eagerly for the return of Christ, for the full redemption over all of creation. So the enemy is gone forever where we live in a perfect place and can live healed and completely set free from the sin that so easily entangles all of us. We are not abandoned. Instead, we have hope looking to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who has already conquered sin and death. There's nothing else we need to do. He's paid the price in full, and he's conquered it for all of us. Now he has given us his power to defeat the enemy, to push back the attacks of Satan, and to reclaim the ground that was lost in the garden. In the end, he's going to do it. He's going to redeem it once and for all in his power and restore heaven to earth as he originally intended so that we can live in his perfect splendor.
In closing, I want to read this uh, from, from the book of Revelation. So this is the very last chapter in the Bible. And it gives us this just amazing image of what we have now to look forward to in the future. And this, this, is, uh, this is John who wrote this. So he has this vision in the end. And it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice on the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among his people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Notice that. He, said, he didn't say, I am making new things. I'm, I'm making all new things. I'm making everything new. He's restoring the original creation. He's restoring us to come back into his presence and to be made perfect as he originally intended. Write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. This is what we believe as a church. This is why we do the things we do. I hope this is a reminder today for why we gather every single week, for why we pray, for why we study the word, for why we encourage each other, for why we are a part of the body of Christ here and now on earth. It's because we are a part of God's plan. He created us to be a part of God's plan. He didn't have to do this. He could have done anything. He's God. But because of his love, he desired to create beings, human beings, greater than all the rest of creation, in his own image, to experience this with him. And it is the most beautiful picture of anything I could ever think of. And so what we're going to do today, we're, we're going to take communion. Um, but before we do that, if you're in the room today and you don't know Jesus, and you're listening to this today, and you say, wow, maybe I, I never knew that that was God's plan for me. This is truth. This is trustworthy and true. This is absolutely God's plan for you. That if you are living in a life apart from him today, and you're struggling with life, and you're feeling beat down, and you're feeling tired, Jesus is here right now. The Spirit of God is here right now in this place today to meet you, and to heal you, and to come into you, and to love you, and to show you a better way to live, to lead you to your new life. So if you guys would please stand with me and close your eyes. If that's you today, and you've never met Jesus face to face, and you've not experienced the radical love and salvation and saving grace of Jesus Christ, would you just raise your hand? No one's looking around. Amen. And I'm just going to pray today. If you guys want to pray with me out loud or to yourselves, let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your perfect plan for humanity from the very beginning, God. We thank you that you made us in your image, Lord God. We thank you that you loved us from the start. And not only so, you gave us the opportunity to love others. And you taught us how to do so. God, we pray that in the midst of a sinful world, in the midst of man making mistakes, God, to turn us away from the path of the original creation, Lord, we recognize our need for a Savior. We recognize the need for healing. We recognize the need to turn back to you, God, so that your spirit can come into me. So Jesus, today I receive you. I make you the Lord of my life. 
desiring to do your will, desiring to get back to the creation that you desired from my life, to experience the riches of your goodness, to experience your grace. I'm sorry for the sins I've committed. I repent of my sin, God, and I turn to you to heal me, to forgive me, to make all things new, Jesus, by your blood. We're thankful for the blood. We're thankful for your example that you brought and gave to us on earth of what it means to love like our Father, for what it means to love others with grace and mercy and kindness. And Lord, we pray today that you would just heal us, that your spirit would come alive in us, God, to give us a new life, to set us on a new trajectory as we look to eternity, as we look to be seated next to you for all the rest of time when you return. Jesus, we love you. We're thankful for your, for your grace. We're thankful that you died on the cross for our sins. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The ushers today have, uh, have communion. And I, I want to do communion today because I think this message is just is such a reminder of, of what Jesus really did for us. And you see, and what communion represents is the fact that Jesus died. And there's two elements here. There's the bread. The bread represents our body, right? The bread represents the flesh that we were created to be, but the flesh that had to die, the physical body that has to die so that we could have life. Adam and Eve, if they would have just died, they couldn't have paid the price. And each of us, if we were just to die apart from knowing Christ, we can't pay the price. And there's no way for us to, to secure salvation back with God. But praise God that Jesus did. And that's what the body represents as we as you take the bread today. Be reminded that he died and he rose again to claim victory over death. And then the blood, the blood is the life in our bodies. In the Old Testament, the blood represented the sacrifices that, that God's people needed to make to pay for the atonement of sin over and over and over. But Christ Jesus shed his own blood once and for all so that we didn't have to do any more sacrifices. So we didn't have to do anything else to be deserving of his salvation or his glory. He did it out of grace. There's nothing we can do to deserve it, but he did it from grace and he shed his blood on the cross so that we could have life. And that life comes through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's spirit coming back into our hearts and our lives and using us for his purposes. So the band's gonna uh, lead us in worship this morning. I'm gonna pray and just feel free to come forward to take communion uh, in your own time. And then I'll come up and close in a little bit. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for sending Jesus to redeem creation. We thank you that he died for us, God, and that we are found new by the shedding of his blood and his death and resurrection. We pray, God, that you would just bless us from this day onward, God, that you would just empower us by your spirit to know you more fully, to live in your grace and your mercy and your kindness and your goodness, God. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.